0: Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I am your host, Duncan McPherson. On this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience who are high caliber fee-for-service professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves, personally and professionally. And on today's podcast, I had a great conversation with Ted Jenkin, where we outlined the anatomy of an offer. just the many benefits of driving your enterprise value if you like this podcast please like and share and tell your colleagues and if you have any ideas or topics you would like to hear in the future just let us know and just a quick note this podcast was originally recorded as a webinar but the content was so well received that we wanted to release it here as well I hope you enjoy it and listen right to the end because there is a sequence of very good questions asked by the audience that Ted responded to. As always, thanks for your time. And now, one of our favorite guests and serial entrepreneurs, Ted Jenkin, and co-author of The Advisor Playbook and the Blue Square Method, Duncan McPherson. Duncan and Ted. Excellent, Tyler. Thank you very much. And uh, Ted, great to see you. Among uh, many aspects of your resume and personal brand, I would have to say you're the best dressed financial professional. In- <laughs> I got to do some TV today, Duncan. So I, no, no choice but to put on a tie. <laughs> well, I thought you got up for just our conversation. But yeah, I know you're a busy guy in demand and uh, national media wants to hear what you've got to say. So Right off the bat, first of all, that poll we did just leading up to the recording uh, was a perfect kickstart because the purpose of this conversation is just to expand everyone's thinking around what it looks like to have a very meaningful exit. And a financial planner is typically a lifelong planner in all respects. And so this would apply. There's a very simple mantra that every business is built to be sold. Okay, so if you think about two drivers, we all know the concept of force savings, like forcing ourselves to create uh, a nest egg for ourselves, and we advise our clients to do the same. Okay, so every investment of effort you make working on your business contributes to force savings. The other aspect is the force multiplier. Okay, that's where things culminate and come together to drive your enterprise value. So, I mean, most businesses think in terms of EBITDA and, you know, those fundamentals, which is a great foundation, but it goes so much more beyond that. And we've seen this countless times where financial professionals develop intellectual property within their business that drives the outcome quite dramatically. But again, the theme here is to consider... The full spectrum of options. Now, uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts, because Ted's got a lot to cover, uh, I want to do a quick recap. Some of you listening in already know who Ted is. For those of you who don't, I strongly suggest that you follow Ted on LinkedIn at a minimum. Get to know who he is and where he comes from. As Tyler mentioned in the introduction, Uh, He is a serial entrepreneur, which means he runs multiple businesses, not just a financial services firm. But he's also incredibly innovative, innovative. And I'll let you talk to that in just a second, Ted. But not only do you have a B2C classic business to client enterprise, but now you also have B2B. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that you yourself had a successful exit that was pleasantly surprising in terms of its outcome. It was very unique, not traditional, and of course, was rooted in a sell and stay, which meant you de-risked, you sold a portion of your business and had options beyond that, but that allowed you to also continue being a financial advisor, and it probably activated a higher sense of purpose and relevance and impact And I think you want to demystify for other advisors what that looks like based on your own personal experience. So I'll let you uh, take it from there. But thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, Duncan. I I enjoy doing these and hopefully we can educate people a little bit more. I saw in the beginning in that poll, Duncan, it looks like 70% of the people said, I'm not sure right now, but I want to know what my options are. And I would tell everybody on this broadcast that if you think about it uh, like a piece of real estate you know, would you really go to an independent appraisal company to try to figure out what your house is worth? You probably wouldn't do that, right? Uh, You might go to Zillow, which is best guess Zillow's off half the time, it's on half the time. But eventually, the real uh, mark of determining what the value of your property is, is to take it on market. Now, whether you're going to sell your property or not, even if you did a for sale by business owner, If you put it on the market and you put a sign out there and you get some offers, the market speaks, Duncan. The market always speaks. And I look at our industry right now, and there's so many advisors that say, yeah, I got a valuation done by FP Transitions, or I got a valuation done by an independent person. And I would tell all of you, so what? Put it in the fireplace. Burn it up. I mean, it might be good for a buy-sell agreement, but if you're really thinking about selling your practice, realize... That there are probably a hundred buyers that are out there right now. I'm not talking about another financial advisor. I'm not talking about somebody in in your town or in your city. I'm talking about real buyers. And if you want to find out what the value of your practice is and what your options are, you take the thing to the market. Now maybe you're not going to sell it today, but the market always speaks. It will tell you the exact value of your practice because somebody's going to put an offer on the table. And you may think it's worth X and they may think it's worth Y, but the truth of it is the market's going to tell you what your practice is worth, not some seminar you go to, or not not some independent company that says we give you an 80-page book and we think it's worth two and a half times recurring revenue. It's meaningless. I learned Duncan when I sold my practice in 2019. I took it to the marketplace. When I did, I happened to go with a company called Blue Spring Wealth Partners that was owned by. Warbird Pincus and Kestra Financial. And when I took it to the market, I never thought in my wildest imagination, Duncan, maybe more than two times recurring revenue. This was three, three and a half, four years ago, maybe three times recurring revenue. But when my deal ended up being north and close to six times recurring revenue, I thought, if financial advisors need to understand that this is a serious business, not just the cash flow, but when you exit It's one of the most valuable businesses behind like technology and other things that are out there only because we cash flow so well in our business.
0: Well, that's one of the many beauties of that shift to advisory and also the focus on not being transactional, but being directional. And this is what we're trying to ask advisors to consider is future pacing where this is all going. And I think the key point you made there is just understanding the scope of what the market actually is. So many advisors have said to me, they'll go to a firm conference, they hear speakers talk about enterprise value, but it's like looking through a keyhole in terms of the options that are available to them. One of the big things you expand thinking on is is there's a multitude of options available to advisor that they need to consider in order to make an informed decision. That's profound.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because there may be a lot of people on the, on the broadcast today that are 45 or 50 years old and, and, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm too young to really want to sell this thing. I think I can double it over the next 10 years. But it's really important for everybody to think about the velocity of money and the velocity of stock. And I'm going to tell you what those two concepts are. When you look at the velocity of money, some of you may be making a million dollars a year. I was obviously when I sold mine, I was making a few million dollars a year. And when you when you think about that, you, you, you in simple math in your head, you're thinking, if I do nothing in 10 years from now, I'll make a million dollars a year, which means I'll make 10 million dollars. Why would I sell somebody today my practice for 10 million dollars when I know I can make it and then I'll have it at the end? The difference is the million dollars, first of all, is taxed as ordinary income. You all know that drops to your bottom line. The second thing is that the 10 million is taxed at capital gains. But even at that, you might have eight million dollars in your pocket today. And a lot of these places, Duncan, they don't want you to leave. They want you to stay, which means you got paid and you're still getting paid to do the business to pay for your bills and still grow your net worth. The second piece of this And this is an interesting question I want people to think about going into this. You probably have not thought about. Do you think that your stock in your practice can grow faster than the stock in a good private equity company? Because even if you do double your practice, what happens if you had stock in a company that would quadruple or quintuple over the next decade? Even if you were right in your calculations, you're still going to be wrong because the stock in that company grows faster. And then I would just, have people, Duncan, think about this last thought, which is, who knows where the industry will be in 10 years? I remember in, in the late 90s, when we started doing wrap accounts, 25 to 3% was the norm. Today, we know it's getting close to 1%. Where do you think it's going to be in 10 years? So even if you double your practice, if you get ripped down to 50 basis points 10 years from now, will you really have doubled your book? I, I'm not saying it won't happen for everybody out there. I'm just giving you food for thought about why this could be a potential option to look at. That's why I did it, by the way.
0: So so from 2019 to today, in many of our conversations, you talk uh, a lot about de-risking. Was that a big driver for you in 2019? Because you look at what the world's been through since then to today, force majeure, massive disruptions, a lot of noise. Was that a primary motivator for you was to de-risk or did you have other uh, motivations? Well, first of all,
1: I never, I never sleep better than I do now. <laughs> Despite what may be happening with the markets and interest rates and war and politics, I'm not going to skip a meal. That's not going to happen. So, you know, one was to get the cash in my pocket and, and just know that <clears throat> me, my family, we were taking care of forever. Number two, I really said to myself, you know, I think there's going to be fee and margin compression. Now, whether this is going to end up as an all flat fee business or, you know, the model will change over time. I think it's going to get harder and harder for us to charge what we charge today. Plus, I don't know what was going to happen regulatory wise or industry wise. There's a million things that could happen. I said, if I take some chips off the table now, it doesn't mean I can't work. I'm still working. Right. I'm still doing things that i want to be doing and I, I could i could have been a practitioner for the next 15 years of my life but it was the third reason that i did it you know after doing 25 meetings a week pounding away you know i got burnt out and uh, i do enjoy being an entrepreneur but i got burnt out with the same conversation about where's the market headed what's going to happen if the, you know republicans are in or the democrats are in where's the interest you just get tired of it and um for all those reasons, I made the move. Do I do I love still getting up and working every day? You betcha, I love it. But I'm I'm more enthused than I was before because I I still want to make a lot of mon- money, Duncan. Let's let's make no bones about that. But I don't have to worry about it if I don't. And it's given me more freedom to just take chances, think about where where I'm doing the things that I'm doing.
0: Well, and you think about a financial professional having a conversation with a client about the importance of having dry powder. I mean. It's 101 that good decisions stem from strong positions, so you put yourself in a strong position that liberated you to uh, open your eyes to opportunities to feel great with that work optional lifestyle that That's a powerful driver in entrepreneurship and just before we continue, I want to plant a seed for everybody. At the end, we have two meaningful resources we're going to make available for you to prime the pump to start planning on what your eventual or more immediate exit might look like. And these are drawn directly from our core programs. uh, So just make yourself a note of that. But I do want to remind everybody, the advisor of the future by definition uh, has evolved beyond having a book of business. They now think of it as an actual business. They run their business like a business and they're looking down the road at where it's all going and what that exit Will look like. Now, of course, you know, we're all talking to people about, you know, answering questions about what's up with the markets and these geopolitical issues. The one thing I remind every advisor I talk to is just some context. Okay, so in the last hundred years, the markets have gone through, I think, if I remember correctly, over 30 meaningful episodes of severe turbulence, and we're batting a thousand. So The likelihood that we're going to come out of this better than we went in, just like 08, and just like any of these other disruptions, is very, very high. But in the meantime, let's just put the odds in our favor and consider uh, what these options are. So, Ted, you are very methodical, very process driven. Let's start to walk through what it is that advisors need to consider to really prime the pump and get themselves prepared for a meaningful outcome in their exit. So I'll I'll hand it to you.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, um, let's just start with the numbers that obviously revenue matters and cash flow matters, right? Because some companies will pay a multiple on revenue. Many companies, they're going to pay on a multiple of cash flow. So it's important that if you set up your P&L, which by the way, a lot of advisors, their P&Ls are are, just not easy to read. So I would get a bookkeeper now, unless you have an internal bookkeeper, and make sure that the P&Ls are very easy and clean to read. I would pay yourself a salary, despite what your CPA says, because, you know, when you sell the business, if you want to work in it, they still have to pay you. So if you're not paying yourself, you know, you've got to realize that you think your free cash flow might be seventy percent of your revenues, but no one's going to buy your business for seventy or eighty percent of your cash flow because whether you or somebody else has to come in and work it, there's not as much free cash flow as you think and there's no problem putting b s expenses I'm not saying you're doing it, but putting b s expenses into your p and l but I would recommend that you just keep a list of what kind of is you know, personal expense that might be in there because these companies understand add backs. It's a normal part of the process when you recast cash flows in a business. Recurring revenue needs to be at least 80%. Now if you're a high commission person, it doesn't mean that you can't sell, but if you want to command top dollar, 100% RIA will command a little bit more. But as long as you're 80% recurring, you're not going to be nixed on the 20% of commission. Does everyone follow that? It's not like that's going to be discounted against you. Real buyers don't go, Duncan, we'll pay you 3% on the recurring revenue. I'll pay you one times on the commission revenue. Real buyers don't do that, but they're looking to 80%. Number two, you need a growth engine if you want to add value, meaning if you don't have a marketing program and you can't prove to a company you have top line growth, it doesn't mean they won't buy your business. Business, but if you're looking to maximize the multiples on your business, you want to prove that you have a growth engine. So, those that have a marketing engine organically and they know how to grow, or you've been good through acquisition, that will help. Number three, and Duncan, this is their business. So, I'm not saying this just to be a commercial for Pareto, but you've got to have systems and processes, and money management does not matter. I have seen so many of these transactions, and I can tell you that your you know, super philosophy about how to manage money is not going to add intrinsic value to your business. In the end, a lot of these companies may say, you can do your own money management. Some of them will say, we don't want you in money management. We want you to grow the top line of the business. So just if you think that that's your special sauce and you're going to sell it for more, you probably won't. And then the last piece of this is to make sure if possible that you've got a generation two successor. It will add value to your business to have a junior or juniors that are there, that even if you don't plan to leave for 10 years, it just adds more value to have that junior in the business. All of these, it's not an end-all, be-all list. All will help add to a multiplier uh, in the business.
0: So there's the force multiplier. And you covered a lot of ground in that run there. Uh, I'm assuming, and I, I'm pretty confident here, that your monetizer practice resource provides that checklist? Completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end, we'll, we'll, they'll get a link, and even if you're one of the people
1: at the beginning that said, "I'm, I just, I don't know what my options are right now," Duncan um, and Tyler will put something at the end, and you can find out what your options are. But these are really critical things to be thinking about if you're thinking about trying to command top dollar for the business, whether you plan to work in it or not over the long term.
0: Yeah, due diligence is so key here, and and. I want to come back to your point about options, because when we do practice management consulting for an advisor who's taking the long view they think, OK, I might want to maximize in three to five years. So I'll do the work now. Their assumption is that the buyer is either going to be a colleague or another advisor within their firm or the firm itself. They're not really considering that third option which is the third option tends to be more enlightened about the things you're talking about, the continuity and succession plan, the intrinsic intellectual property around best practices, the marketing and business development growth drivers, like all of those elements, they're looking down the path. I would like you to spend a little bit of time on those private equity firms that are enlightened around where the business is going and and placing a value on that.
1: Yeah, so so let's just talk first about capital. Most of you at some point in your career probably sold an annuity contract, okay? And when you look at annuity companies, you may wonder why sometimes some companies' rates are really good or bonus programs, then they come down, then they're really good, then they come down, and it's all about capital. And, and so you need to know the marketplace because these private equity companies, some of them are, are more, more well-resourced. And they're constantly having a uh, large backers, So they have capital and, and some are trying to, you know, finance the deals themselves. And that matters because it will affect the multiple they could pay for your business. When you, when you look at these companies, what you want to be asking yourself is what's the culture am I looking for? Do I want to maintain my brand? Yes or no. Do I want to manage the money? Yes or no. Where are my weakest in my practice? Is it practice management? Is it, is it marketing? Is it technology? Because when you want to find a suitable partner, it's not all about money. Because if you plan to be there another ten years, you want to believe that the stock in their company is going to grow, right? You're going to help grow it, and you want to believe it's going to grow. So, so all those are factors to look at. I I think that uh, what most advisors realize is that if you clear through a place like LPL, there are probably 15 private equity companies that deal with LPL. You know, even if you are an LPL rep or not. Right. You know that some of them use LPLs. I'm just using it as an example, but this is true for Finet and other platforms that are out there, that there are multiple players that hook into that that broker dealer or they hook into that trading system. And so in a lot of a lot of cases, you may not even have to repaper. You may not have to change your, your book at all some cases, Duncan, it's just negative consent in the RIA, and that's it. In some cases, it's positive consent, but I think these are all factors to be thinking about. Some people always worried about that: what happens if I have to repaper? Well, if somebody gives you 20 million bucks for your business, you'll repaper. Uh, you know, I mean? It's, I mean, it's it's just a. But in some cases, you might not have to repaper, depending upon where you are. If you're pure RIA, or if you're at a broker dealer, some some broker dealers. Um, you don't have to move at all because there are a lot of companies that deal with that broker dealer. One, one final comment on here, just because you know this is so topical. One of the trends you're going to see and I am seeing now is that your broker dealer may say, hey, Duncan, I want to buy 25% of your business. And I'm going to tell you that could be one of the worst moves that you ever make because basically you're going to pigeonhole yourself in that broker dealer. You know, Broker dealers are not dumb. They're thinking now, how can I make sure that you don't leave My broker dealer. I'm not talking about getting recruited, but even if you sell, and one of the ways to do that is if they buy 25% of your book, where are you going to go? You go to another broker dealer. You think the broker dealers are going to be splitting? I mean, they don't do that today. So just just be very careful. I have seen Duncan some broker dealers now that will buy 100% of the book. It's not. It may not always be the best deal, and this is why you have to
0: shop all your options out there. You made a great point because I've seen this firsthand. We all know caveat emptor, right? Buyer beware. Well, there's a there's a a, a book into that. Caveat venditor, seller beware. Sell be aware of your responsibility to your clients, to yourself, to your team, to the marketplace. Just consider all the different elements of that exercise and what I, where I'm getting with this Ted is that some of the advisors we've introduced to you who have gone through the exercise with you you forced them to think so many things through it was like a a dry run around what those gaps are and what they need to work on, so they actually said, "Okay, give me six to twelve months to work on this because I want to maximize what this outcome is going to look like and there There were such profound gaps where to get from two or three times to six or eight times, these were simple adjustments It's not unlike if you're thinking about selling your home and you bring in a couple of agents to compare, you know, you know, uh, comparables in the neighborhood and then they point things out. You know, you should consider doing this or consider doing that because it'll it'll amplify the value of the house. That dry run is such a powerful exercise to squeeze more juice out of the orange.
1: Yeah. And and one uh, one point within here, because I don't know what everyone's practice looks like, is that there are a lot of practices, Duncan, where you have a lead advisor. And then you might have one or two junior or servicing advisors that are underneath you. But what I see in a lot of practices is those junior advisors are typically 1099 contractors. And that's a real problem when you're going to sell your business because you could think that you own those clients. But the truth is, if you have somebody in your practice who's a 1099, who really owns the clients? So, you know, when you have that kind of structure, even if it feels like a group practice, the legalities of your contracts matter and if you're running an OSJ model you have even more problems because in the end I'm not saying this disrespectfully what is your OSJ worth if you don't own any of the clients and you're getting an override when you think you're going to sell your OSJ what are you going to be selling it's not wh- what's it worth you don't own anything you don't own any of the clients and so I'm not saying you can't sell that but I can tell you there are structures legally if you're in that group practice or you have some juniors, you want to get those legal things in place. It will make it a heck of a lot easier to sell than when you get there and say, oh, well, I'll talk to Duncan. He's going to be good to come in with me and selling his book. And in the end, I've seen so many of those Duncan blow up because the, the, the junior advisor is not good to go or there's a, a difference in opinion or how's the cut of the equity going to really happen? You know, these are all important business discussions and i see many advisors that fail to have them beforehand and
0: then they suffer when they try to sell their business. Yeah, very good point. And on the other side of that, back to your point about the growth drivers, those who have really have got their protege in place and position the protege to work with the 80% of the clients who generate 20% of the business they were able to maximize those relationships while the lead advisor could go deeper into the 20%. And again, one of those other force multipliers that is so powerful. So yeah, these are these are really important distinctions. What I'd like you to do now, if you don't mind, and I'll just put you on the spot. I'd like you to talk about some actual scenarios of what it looked like yeah. when somebody opted in and and basically empowered you to help them demystify and walk them through the process? Because I've heard so many great examples of advisors who have come back to me and said, I had no idea the vein of gold I was sitting on here that was unlocked through this exercise. So could you go there?
1: Yeah. So um, it might be helpful to just give people a construct about what a deal looks like, right? Because I know we're talking about the anatomy of a deal, Duncan. And I want everyone to recognize that there are several parts to every transaction, right? One is the consideration or the real value of your business. And, and, you know, whatever you may think your business is worth, the market will speak. But if you're doing a a $2 million of revenue, one question to be asking yourself today is that if I was really going to write you a check and you were actually going to say, yes, I've seen advisors get cold feet, how much would that be? Let's just say you said it was $10 million. Great. That's a consideration for the business. $2 million rev. $10 $10 million for the practice. But there's a real, if you plan to stay on, which I noticed some people in the beginning said, I'd love to sell and stay, there's a real negotiation about the construct of ongoing pay. Some companies Duncan, do it, salary plus bonus. Some do salary plus a percentage of EBITDA. Some of them pay a, a certain payout level for legacy business and a certain payout level for new business. On the new business, it could be more if you self-generate the business and maybe less if they self-generate the business. So there's a there's a myriad number of factors to how that ongoing compensation is going to work. And then there's the third piece, which could be the second bite of the apple. Right. If you're going to sell and stay, whether that bite of the apple is in stock or that bite in the apple is a lump sum payout or it's in a retirement package. You know, there is a negotiation of that, because if you do stay for 10 years and you double or triple the business, don't you want to participate to get another bite of the apple down the road? Most advisors, when they sell to another advisor, never even talk about this at all. When you sell to one of these companies, if you're not skilled and astute and looking at this, it's a real problem. So what we do in general or what what companies will do is take a profile of your business. Think about it like a pitch deck that somebody does for a real business because you are a real business. It is important to go through at least three years of financials and try to recast them. Again, what was the BS and the P&L? Were you paying yourself a salary or not? What's the true free cash flow in the business? Because that, that's what companies want to buy. If you're running this lean and mean and you're at 80% free cash flow, nobody's going to buy 80% of your cash flow ever. Most companies are between 40 and 60%. Let's use 50 as the mid-road, which, by the way, how many companies in this world do 50% free cash flow? It's crazy. It's why our businesses are so valuable. Then you're going to do meetings with a bunch of companies to see if you have a culture fit. After you have a culture fit, typically the companies will put together a deal deck, and then you may get to something called an LOI. I want to tell people on here, an an IOI, indication of interest, or an LOI, letter of interest, is non-binding. doesn't mean you sold your practice. doesn't mean you're going to sign it because then you have to go through due diligence. Provided the due diligence is done well, you'll ultimately sign a purchase agreement and then have a close date. So that's just a general operative part of a process. But um, if you've never gone through it, even Michael Jordan, you know, LeBron, they all they all have agents. There's a reason. So don't get cheap. And what I mean by that is that if you got to pay some money to have an agent, whether it's any company that's out there, you're they're going to end up negotiating you a hell of a lot more money than you could do on your own. I know our advisor thinks I could do this and negotiate a deal. If you've never done one, you don't even know what the playing field looks like. So how do you know what to negotiate if you don't know what the playing field looks like? So it's just my general comments on that.
0: Have you ever considered launching your own podcast? Not sure how to start? Outsource it to the best in the business. We did our trusted partners at proudmouth have a turnkey process to take care of everything add predictability to your marketing efforts visit them today at proudmouth.com do you aspire to consistently attract and keep great clients while driving the enterprise value of your business do you want to achieve professional contrast by supplementing your technical ability with a consistent client experience driven by best practices? The Blue Square Toolkit brings the proven Pareto Systems philosophy and process to life in a way that tethers your team so that you can competitor proof your clients, gain their full empowerment, and attract quality referrals, all while restoring liberation and order in your life and all in an intuitive, easy-to-use, turnkey solution. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. We've all seen examples or warnings around <clears throat> whether it's an athlete or a celebrity having a parent or another family member represent their interests. and just blurring some of the emotional elements and and it not working out well. So that's a really good point I didn't consider. So I want to jump for a second to this call to action because your monetize your practice exercise that you've got that advisors can go through just to prime the pump, just to get things rolling. Does it take into consideration all of those elements you just mentioned in a very sequential manner?
1: Yeah. yeah, totally. And and here's what's super cool right now, Duncan, is that there are a lot of people because your practices are probably still down with the markets. I realize some of you may be down 15 percent. Some of you are down 5 percent. A few of you are probably up because you're great at bringing in assets. But I recently saw a practice at nine hundred seventy thousand of revenue sell for five point two million. I recently saw a practice at three million of revenue sell for nineteen and a half million. 19 and a half million dollars. So, you know, don't think for a second just because interest rates are up and everybody's telling you the market's getting squeezed. Is it? Is it really getting squeezed a little bit? But in the end, when there's a valuable business out there and it's the right fit, people will always pay top dollar. That's why you'll see it on Wall Street and you can see it on Main Street for your practice. So it's, it's, it's still there's plenty of money that's out there, Duncan, and a lot of people don't want their capital earning nothing on the sidelines. So The people that go to monetize my practice and you fill out for a free consultation, you'll meet with a a very high level consultant who will walk you through a little bit about where your practice is at and give you a feel of where the marketplace is at. And then you may say, you know what, let me test the market and see, see if I can get what it is that I think I can get. Or you may say, hey, I need to spend more time with Duncan and his team, get my practice lined up a little bit more over the next year or 18 months or three years and then go go sell it at that point. But it's a great exercise to go through and it
0: doesn't, doesn't cost a nickel. Well, and I think you were telling me a while back that uh, the smart money sees past little windows of time. They look at the big picture and they look at directionally where it's all going. Sometimes we get sort of bogged down in the day-to-day minutiae and it can cloud our thinking and our judgment. But uh, that's a very good point. And that every single advisor who's kickstarted this exercise through monetize my practice. dot com has come back and said there are so many things I didn't even think about that that forced me to think through and on that point, and I appreciate you acknowledging the fact that we play a small role in this. Uh, a supplement to this is our practice management index. So if you think about the many years that we've been consulting with advisory teams on how to grow and how to build out their bench and how to achieve professional contrast and how to create consistency. You know, one of the first things we would do is a gap analysis and Mm -hmm. that was done one to one individually with a, with a team. Well, what we did is we consolidated hundreds and hundreds of those uh, examples into a self-guided resource So this requires about an hour of your time. And all you have to do is answer the questions as it prompts you through those 18 focus areas. And at the end, it produces reports to tell you where you stand relative to other advisors, but also where your gaps are. And I'll be very clear about this. And you referenced this in the beginning, Ted. There are three key drivers in the business. There's your people, there's your practice, and there's your process. Your people and your technical ability, your continuity and succession plan, all of the elements around bench strength, knowledge, all of that, credentials, very, very important. You're probably solid there. Most of the gaps are in the practice, and that creates the client experience, and the process. That's to the degree that a client is bought in, and they empower you fully and it contributes to advocacy, loyalty, and capturing money in motion. And that is all intellectual property that drives your enterprise value. So I think between the practice management index, which is no charge, again, the currency is an hour of your life, you'll get this reporting, you'll know where you stand, very valuable, and complemented by monetize your practice, that is a great exercise to prime the pump and, and just give yourself a sense for what is my life's work worth and what does my life look like in a sell and stay dynamic and the liberation and order that can create uh if you decide that you want to stay for five or 10 years after you've taken some chips off the table and de-risked. So, you know, I, I wanted to acknowledge that call to action. Those are the two things we would ask. Uh, you to go through and then come back. And I really want you to follow Ted on LinkedIn because uh, we're active there, Ted, but I see you all the time. And the diversity of what you're covering, it is self-evident that you are a big advocate for the financial professional trying to make sure that they maximize uh, their outcomes, which I I respect a great deal. So I'll let you have the closing comments and just uh, nudge people to take action.
1: Well, I, I, I just say to all of you, since we're all all, you know, we're in the same business. I've been in this business for 30 years that if you really consider the Forbes list of billionaires and I, I encourage you to just look at it, you probably have all all of the people that have all of the money are business owners. And and really, although we're in the stock market as part of our business, There's no more valuable, better place to invest your money in every way, shape, and form in your business. And when you compile your own net worth statement this year, later this year, or next year, your own net worth statement, please list the value of your business because you're going to realize how impactful your business is on your overall net worth. And so I would just tell you that many advisors don't cheat yourself. This whole Sell to my friend for two times recurring revenue. It's for the birds. I don't care if you do a half million of revenue or you do five million of revenue. It's for the birds. And if you are a producer that's only doing a half million and you don't think you can get there, meaning you can't get to a million or two million, even using marketing help or Duncan's help. Maybe you think about joining forces with a colleague and being smart about building a business together. Because the sum of those businesses will be worth a hell of a lot more than they are on your own, and that's where you can use Ken and in his team if you go to monetize my practice, the folks that I know uh will help you walk through where you're at right now for the seventy percent of you that said, "I just want to see what my options are, find out, find out what your options are and where the marketplace is. I encourage you to do it because we're in an awesome business and and uh, there's no businesses that cash flow at 50 percent like we do and have 90 percent recurring revenue and 99 percent client retention. It's, it's a crazy great business. But you've got to get your head wrapped around about how you want to build it, what you want to sell it for, because there are a lot of players that are going to be out there the next three to five years to buy those, buy those businesses. So go to monetizemypractice.com. Great, great place to start.
0: And I'll just close off before we go to the Q&A and just remind everybody that ultimately, the, the why is to become financially independent, which by definition means you have a work optional lifestyle and your money makes more money than you do because you uh, have reached that inflection point. And, and again, I cannot overstate, I know it's true in your case, Ted, and many of the teams that you've worked with, is that the level of purpose, fulfillment, and productivity someone has on the other side of the sell and stay exit is profound. It's very qualitative, but every single person tells me they've never loved what they do more. They've never had more impact. And, uh, you know, the business serves their life, not the other way around, which is the ultimate goal. So let's get into these questions and I'll let you go with the first one. Do you see it there, Ted?
1: I do. Uh, It says, what is the best thing I can do to prepare myself for an exit? You know, and I'm just going to use the term, make sure you get your your ducks in a row. And what I mean by that is make sure that the last year, at least, of your P&L statements are incredibly clean and they're easy to explain. Confusion in the P&L will jam up, you know, getting a deal done. Number two, make sure you get your legal contracts in place, meaning if you have W-2s in the business that the employment contracts look right. If you have juniors in the business, that you have them on employment contracts or you have agreements written out because the legal and financial side of it, there's so many advisors that are not are not prepared. And then the last thing is, if you can get a marketing engine in place for growth and you can prove that out, that's all, that's all very valuable stuff.
0: And on the marketing engine, have you had advisors who have empowered you to help them with their exit actually adopt some of your marketing Drivers that you develop that are proprietary to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, seven or eight years ago, I started a company as an entrepreneur called HyperChat Social. And um, I've actually done lead generation for at least a thousand advisors across the country. I am coming out, Duncan, in a couple of months with a, a new program called the Social Media Black Book. And uh, it's going to be anybody could afford it. Even if you're doing a couple hundred thousand of production, you can afford it. But I really want to give back. You know, this industry has been so good to me. This is going to be a a low dollar course that you can get into. And I think it'll change your world about growing top line revenue.
0: Well, what we've seen on the social side when people crack the code is when it comes to growth, they don't need to go out and find new clients. They just make it easy to be found either through introductions from existing clients or strategic partners or from that second or third degree of separation from their core uh, network. And that, that's what you're getting out there, which is powerful. I'll let you just run with these questions because they're ready. So, so
1: I see I see the question here. Uh, I'm just looking at this. So it, it says I want to sell my I, I want to sell my business in the next few years, but I have no prospective buyers. What can I do? I'd go to that monetizemypractice.com. These folks have at least 50 private private equity companies that are out there. But um, again, it doesn't mean that you can't talk to like a colleague at your broker dealer or talk to somebody who's in your town and say, well, if I die, you buy me, vice versa, or I want to sell to you. There's such a bigger world out there, so I would I would get with the folks that that monetize my practice. I think, uh, you know, that they that that's gonna be that's gonna be the best way to do it. Um, so just
0: to understand who the market is
1: and how big it actually is. It's so it's so big right now in this market. This is a great one. What's realistic multiples we can get for our business, assuming we're in good order? This is a good question. Look, first of all, and and I don't say this to be uh, rude, but size matters. Um, and it matters in this sense, you know, if your business is 500,000 of gross revenue, you're not going to get the same multiple as if you're at 5 million. So, you know, scale matters in here. And it's why I'm saying if you're smaller and you can't grow yourself, maybe you do want to partner up with somebody. And if you're bigger, you should think about how to get even bigger because it's going to be a bigger multiple. That being said, I'm seeing top line revenue multiples between four and six and a half on gross revenue and EBITDA is weird you know free cash flow is weird because every company's got a slightly different version about how they calculate EBITDA you would think it's all the same but it's not but i'm seeing smaller practices in the seven to eight times range on cash flow i'm seeing bigger ones still in the 12 to 14 range on cash flow massive massive friggin numbers
0: And and most fee for services business, businesses don't have that luxury because they are so transactional. They don't have the advisory and the recurring revenue dynamic, which makes this very, very
1: unique. Uh, I had a friend of mine, Duncan, uh, who I talked to this week. 3.1 million of revenue. The deal was 19.5 million. Uh, Nine nine times on cash flow was basically guaranteed, if you will, and then another two and a half was on like earnouts and growth numbers. And then it was an ongoing payout of 24% on legacy business and 37% on new business. So you, you tell me, you somebody paid you 19 million bucks for your practice, and you could still have a blended payout rate of 30% or so, all expenses paid. Are you going to be upset with that? And the stock pays a dividend that they got too. And I think the stock in this particular company, because I looked at this, I think, you know, it'll it'll quadruple over the next five years. He's, he would never, even if he was growing, he'd never be able to grow the velocity of his money as fast as that. No, no way. And by the way, here, here's an interesting point since we're all financial advisors. Who the hell knows what's going to happen to capital gains? I'm not saying that negatively. Do you really think it's going to get lower than 20%? A survey says in Family Feud, probably not. Could it get higher? Sure. Where's the government going to get their money? Now, will it go back to 39.6%? I don't know. But I don't think it's going to get better for you. That's all I'm gonna say. I don't think it's going to get better for you.
0: Good decisions stem from strong positions. So just de-risk. And then this last question I love because... It's basically the inverse of what we're talking about. Somebody who wants to acquire more businesses themselves, this whole exercise expands their thinking in terms of what to look for and how to achieve professional contrast. Because if you think about that old cliche, there's more buyers than sellers. Well, that's an opportunity just to stand out from the pack. So the core dynamic here is work on the business, not in the business, work on it. Understand where the intrinsic value Is based on intellectual property. And uh, so this exercise would apply to buyers, not just sellers.
1: Yeah, and I see one here. I want to acquire more practices. What's the best tools to accomplish this? (laughs) My initial thought was, you know, Russian roulette, um, because, uh, you know, look, um, I'm not telling you any of these are bad companies, but everybody I talk to says it's a complete bitch to do this through Succession Link or APBOE or any of those. Because there's 8,000 people that want to buy one. I'm going to tell you two interesting twists on this, and and y'all may like to hear this or you may not. Um, one is that brand matters, and and when you think about why people are willing to be acquired, obviously money matters, but it doesn't always matter as much as where they think their clients are going to end up landing. So if you're a small time practice that that you're in. You're working out of your basement or you're in some Regis facility, you got to ask yourself if somebody's going to sell it to you to be like, what's going to happen to my clients? But if you've got billboards in town or you're you're on the radio or more people know your name, and that's kind of what we did in Atlanta, there are a lot more people that are willing to join you. I'm not saying irrespective of the money, but money isn't going to be everything. And two is, You got to get off your tail and go network. I mean, you got to go to FPA meetings. You got to go, you got to go to places to be where the action is. Cause I think doing it on the boards is, is going to be incredibly tough. So if you're sitting here thinking, I just want to buy a practice that does like 500,000 of revenue, they're 71 years old, they want to retire. You know, a lot of those practitioners too are just going to cash flow that thing until they die. So it, it's 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 challenging. You, it's work. But brand matters. And I would be networking more.
0: OK, excellent. Great, as always, Ted. And uh, just a recap for everybody. Find Ted Jenkins on LinkedIn. Follow him. Stay connected. Understand how he's communicating to the world, both to his clients, to other advisors and to investors in general. Go to monetizemypractice.com, Go through that exercise and just get it out of your head. And then lastly, uh, check out the practice management index. These are investments you're making on yourself, working on your business uh, and yourself personally and professionally. And you'll just put yourself in a stronger position to make very informed decisions and maximize your outcomes. So with that, I appreciate all of you investing your time. Ted, closing comments and then we'll wrap it up.
1: No, I, I appreciate what you all do every day. It is is—it is a tough business. I know everybody thinks that we're overpaid and underworked, but nothing could be further from the truth. You're often overworked and underpaid. You're worth every nickel of what you do for clients and helping them achieve their goals. And in the end, you should get every dollar of value for what you built. It's hard, hard
0: work. So I appreciate what you do. Terrific. Okay, Ted, thanks very much. We'll see you next time. All right. See you. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more.